Now, in your seats today or close by, I think we put these in every other seat, so you might want to share with somebody, you have the sermon notes for today. Now, those of you who are visiting with us, don't let that scare you, because it looks like a sermon manuscript, doesn't it? But what I wanted to do today was give you all of the verses that I'm going to be using, that I'm going to be reading on your paper, because we don't have... Um, enough time to put them on slides up on the screen. So you're going to have them right in front of you. If you brought your Bible with you today, you're welcome to tune in to your Bible. Uh, you, if it's on your phone or you brought one, I saw people bringing Bibles in today. I always love to see that. And so you're, you're welcome to look on in whatever version uh, that you brought with you today. But we're talking about worship. Worshiping the Savior is the supreme attitude of Christmas. Now, you know, we hear sermons sometimes, we go, man, that was a really great sermon, but we kind of walk out going, how does that apply to me? I'm, I'm not real sure he ever got to how that applies to my life. I'm not sure she ever got to how I'm supposed to walk this out. So what we're going to do today is we're going to give you some real practical ways to walk out and live out in your daily life what the Bible says about how we are to respond during Christmas. Now to give form to our worship, we looked at one other character in the Bible and we have focused in on her and you probably already know who she is if you've been here for the other messages. And if you haven't, you probably have figured it out on your own. But this is a person that we're going to talk about today who is the closest of all humans to Jesus. The person we're going to talk about today is the one who had an intimacy with him that no other person ever knew. The person we're going to talk about today is the one person most directly touched by the birth of Jesus. And of course, that is none other than Mary. And Mary, like all of the other people, characters in the Bible we already talked about, her response was one of worship as well. So what we're going to do, we're going to drill down, we're going to go deeper today into what Mary uh, said. When she was expressing her praise to Jesus, when she was expressing her praise to God for Jesus, for the Christ child, we're going to kind of drill down into what she said and look at it. You know, you can look at Scripture uh, from a bird's eye view. You can come way up here and look down at the whole Bible, and you can look at a chapter, or you can look at a book of the Bible. But then sometimes, uh, and I hope you're doing this in your private study, we want to take the Word of God and put it under a microscope and bring it up real close so we can find those little hidden nuggets of gold, of truth that are not apparent when we first read from the Scripture. And that's kind of what we're going to do here. Uh, Mary expresses her worship in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. This is Mary's psalm. It is a worship song. Mary is a worshiper. She is a Christmas worshiper. She's the mother of Jesus teaching us. This is very important for you to get this. She's teaching us today how we are to react to the birth of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the quality of her worship. How many of you know, how many of you know, or how many of you suspect or how many of you realize it's easy to figure this out, that God wants from us quality worship. He wants quality worship. God is not interested in superficial worship. God is not interested in fake worship. God wants our deepest, 
heart. He wants our heart. He wants our physical body to be involved in our worship. He certainly wants our mind to be involved. So what we're going to look at today and next week is we're going to look at four distinct qualities of Mary's worship. Now, we've already covered a couple of those, so we're going back and doing a little bit of a review. First of all, Mary's worship was deep within her. Her worship expressed to God came from being deep within her. It was not a surface thing. It was deep within her. The Bible says, this is Mary talking in that first verse, Matthew 1, 46. She said, my soul exalts the Lord. And in verse 37, uh, 47 rather, she said, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So what she was telling us there, soul and spirit are the same word, means the same thing. She was saying that my worship, and this is a, this is a um, evaluation test for us that we would evaluate ourselves today. Is our worship coming when we worship God? Is it coming from deep within us or is it just something we do on the outside? Mary is saying that if you want your quality, your worship to be quality worship that God receives, then it has to come from deep within you. The words soul and spirit deal with the inner person, the inner person. Now, I would encourage you to go back and look at the other two messages. You can go to our website at bridgechurch.cc and you can look at and listen to the other two messages where we went in depth about this. Number two, characteristic number two, um, is that not only was Mary's worship deep within her, and this is the one we want to talk about today, Mary's worship was passionate. It was not casual. Mary's, Mary's worship was not casual. Mary's worship was passionate. Listen very carefully. It was intense. First of all, last week we found out it was internal. This week we are finding out that Mary's worship was intense. It was intense. What does that mean? Look what she says. Let's go back again to Luke 1, verse 46 and 47, because they're, they're just key words, and you have to dig back into the original Greek language to find these, these little nuggets of gold. But look what Mary says. And Mary said, my soul, everybody say it out loud, my soul. Anybody got a King James Version out there? What does it say? My soul magnifies, magnifies. My soul magnifies, my soul exalts, my spirit, verse 47, and my spirit has, everybody say it out loud, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, when you read that in the English, maybe it doesn't grab you, but when you dig deeper into that word exalts, or again, as the King James Version translates it into the word magnifies, which I really like that translation better, you will discover uh, it in the Greek. You will discover that the Greek word, and, and look, you can impress all your family at lunch today, and you can kind of share the Christmas story a little bit and then go, and the Greek word there is, and that'll impress everybody because they know you're really not that smart. So, so you will say to them, the Greek word is megaluno, megaluno. Everybody say megaluno. Don't you feel smarter already? Uh, what word do you see in there that we, from the English language? What word do you see? Mega. Mega. 
That word mega we use in the modern language, it is from this Greek word. We use the word mega when we want to say something is bigger than normal. We use the word mega when we want to say something is larger. What are we talking about here? What are we talking about? Four qualities of what? Whose? Four qualities of Mary's worship. So Mary's worship last week was internal. This week it is intense. It is some mega worship. Some mega worship. It is bigger than normal. It is larger than normal. And you know what I'm convinced of? Louder than normal. Sometimes when you see the word mega on a speaker, it may say mega bass. Boom, 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 boom. How many of y'all have been up beside that guy at the stoplight? When you could no longer hear your talk radio because of boom, 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 boom. That is mega bass. And here's what that means. This speaker will give you way more bass than you need or care to listen to. Mega means extra large. And what Mary is doing here is not simply exalting Jesus, exalting the Father who has told her you are going to give birth to the Son of God. She is mega exalting. Her exaltation is an is a extra large expression of adoration. Literally, the word megaluno means to cause a surge. How many of y'all have been in a worship service and you could feel it building? You, you could just feel it. It was building and building. As a matter of fact, January 4th, we got a women's conference we're going to have here and i got to tell you something, man. You, if you don't have your tickets, you better get your tickets, and you better get here early because we didn't have seats last year. People were standing up for part of that event, and i got to tell you, from my understanding, that's what happened there. And really, I have seen it happen here on Sunday morning many, many, many times when you can just feel it building. You can feel the praise, the adoration of God building. How many of you know that I'm not talking about being crazy? How many of you know you can be spiritual without being spooky? Amen? And so Mary is not doing something that is going to drive people away, but what Mary is doing is something that draws people. So she is megaluno. She is causing a surge. It is building. When you begin to read in the book of Luke, uh, chapter uh, 1, verses 46 through 55, you, as you read through that whole thing, and the only reason I'm not reading it this morning is because I have so much other scripture a little bit later in the message, but you can feel it building. Uh, it means to cause to grow to a crescendo. So we're going to talk about that today. The Greek word for rejoices, the Greek word for rejoices that we just read uh, does not simply mean to be joyed. It means to be mega joyed. It means to be extra large full of joy. It means to be overjoyed. How many of y'all remember the old hymn we used to sing in church? It's joy unspeakable and full of glory full of glory. So I don't know how I didn't make that group. I'm just saying. How many of y'all remember that song? Wasn't that an awesome song? And we sing, still sing songs about joy. But it's not just joy, it is joy what? 
unspeakable. It's, it's mega joy. It's extra large joy. That's what Mary was experiencing that day. It was an out loud kind of joy. Y'all with me out there? It was an out loud kind of joy. It was an exuberant joy. It was a spontaneous kind of joy. And it could not be contained. She couldn't have contained it if she wanted to. So there are two components of true worship. Number one, it comes from deep within. Listen to this now. This is important that you get all of what I'm about to say. Genuine worship, mega worship, real worship. Listen to me. The kind of worship God accepts. Can I tell you God doesn't accept all worship? But the kind of worship God accepts rises from what the heart has comprehended about him. It rises from a comprehension. It rises from what the mind understands about God. You see, that's why knowing your Bible is so important to your worship. Because if you don't know your Bible and you don't know what the Bible says about God, that's going to limit your ability to worship him. Mega worship, deep inside worship, comes from knowledge. It comes from the mind. And when Mary came to grips with what was going on, her mind, and that's what we're talking about today, transferred to her emotion. And what she understood became emotional for her. And it burst forth in worship. And it burst forth in praise. Every part of Mary's inner being was stirred by what she understood And it just erupted into passionate, intense praise. That's the stuff true worship is made of. But it starts with revelation. It starts with understanding. You watch some people who worship, maybe they're a little overboard for you. Can I just suggest that maybe you haven't understood what they've understood? Now, I know some people do what they do to get seen by men. I've seen that. You've seen that. We've all seen that. But I've also seen people worship, and it just could not be contained. And the reason it could not be contained is because of an understanding they had of God that the rest of us maybe had missed. And so they could not contain it. I mean, there is a glimpse from God. There's a glimpse from God. I've been in worship before when God reminded me of things I'd studied in my Bible study, and I became overwhelmed, tears began to flow. And then even in my worship, as I thought about the things I'd studied in my Bible study, and tears began to flow, and my hands went over my head, which doesn't mean you're worshiping. Just because you're weeping and your hands are over your head, it could be because your shoes are too small. So you cannot look at somebody who's doing that and assume that that's genuine worship. (laughs) But sometimes... When you become overwhelmed with who he is and what he's revealed to you, God will even take what you've studied and in your worship time magnify what you've studied because God is not going to reward laziness. So you've got to get in there and study that word. But God will take that sometimes when you're in worship and he will, he will make that that you've studied come back to your remembrance. But not only that, he will illuminate it so that you understand it in a time of worship in a way that you didn't understand it when you were actually doing Bible study. That's good preaching. So 
she gets this glimpse of God, and God says, Mary, here's what's happening. Here are the facts, Mary. Hey, Mary, here's who I am. Hey, Mary, here's how much I love you. And when she got a glimpse of that, when she caught that, it exploded in worship. It exploded in thanksgiving. Mary's our model. Mary's come to give form to our worship. How does this apply to us today? Mary's teaching us how to worship. Mary's teaching us how to worship at Christmas time. You got your Christmas tree? You've been to Center Street and circled and seen all the lights? You've listened to Perry Como sing Chestnuts Rushing All Open Fire 58 times? That's fine. Nothing wrong with all that. But let me just encourage you to not let that be all your Christmas is about. Unplug from that and plug into the God of Christmas. Unplug from that and plug into the Jesus of Christmas. And understand who he is and what he came to do for you. You see, Mary gives us a picture of sincere, deep, intense worship. Listen to me now. Mary's worship is not shallow. It is not superficial. And it is not temporary. And once again, I remind you, this is God showing us here at the bridge. And wherever you're in church at, maybe you're visiting today, he's showing us how to worship here. So let's go back to the Old Testament. And let's look at, a, at, at the kind of worship God rejects. Because you see, you not only have to understand the kind of worship God receives and God loves and God blesses, but we need to understand the kind of worship God rejects. Now, you got a whole lot of scripture in your notes today, but I got it from the message. Um, now, if you don't believe in reading from the message and, and it's offensive to you, Come up to me after the service and I'll forgive you. Okay, all right. Now, <laughs> there's somebody out there right now going, wait, what? What did he just say? If you look at the history of Israel, you will find that God rejected superficial worship. So let's go to the book of Psalm, chapter 51. How many of y'all know what Psalm 51 is? Who knows what Psalm 51 is? I'm not going to have you stand up and tell us. Psalm 51 is a prayer. And it is prayed by a man named after he did what? Sinned with Bathsheba. Now, most people will, don't know much about the Bible, but they know the story of how David sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery. And David uh, resisted and was, became bitter because if you have unconfessed sin in your life, it will make you bitter and judgmental. Did I say that out loud? When a person is bitter and judgmental of other people, you can almost be sure that that person has unconfessed sin in their own life. You say, oh, I didn't come here to hear this today, but you're here and you just heard it. <laughs> so Psalm 51 is David getting right with God. He's getting right with God. He's getting right with God. And David says in verse 6 about worship, Behold, you desire what? Truth where? Just on the outside? Just so we look good on the outside? He says, you, he said, God, you want truth where? In me. Anybody can fake this thing. Anybody can fake it, and you can fool me, and you can even fool yourself. 
sometimes, and you can definitely fool your family and other people, but you can't fool God. David says, Lord, if you're going to receive my prayer of repentance, if you're going to receive my worship, and I would encourage you, if you want to do a study of how to repent of sin and get sin out of your life, Psalm 51 tells you. Man, David gets real, buddy. He is tired of carrying this sin unconfessed on his back. In Psalm 51, he brings it to God and says, God, I want this thing off of me. And that boy repents, and those sins are washed away. So David says, God desires truth on the inward parts. You can't fake it. It can't just be superficial. It can't just be on the outside. Let's go from um, Psalms. Let's go to the right. Hang a right in your Bible and go over to Isaiah. Let's look at the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And let me give you just a little bit of background here before we read this. The nation of Israel is divided, and they're divided because their pride, they had pride and rebellion against the will of God. So Israel, the nation of Israel, is divided, and the northern kingdom of Israel has been carried away uh, by captivity into Babylon, and the southern kingdom, or the kingdom of Judah, has turned against God and are now saturated in idolatry, which led to all kinds of debauchery and sin. So here comes God in Isaiah chapter 1, and this is God's words, because Isaiah, what was Isaiah's office. What was his ministry? He was a what? Prophet. So prophets, here's what prophets do. Prophets speak to the people about what God is saying. Priests speak to God about the people. Prophets speak to the people about God. So Isaiah is prophesying. So what we're reading here are not Isaiah's words, because Isaiah is just a man operating in the office of a prophet So whose words are these we're about to read? God's. So here's God talking. Listen to what God says. And God, you know, one thing you can say about God is he really sugarcoats everything. Not. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 13. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. And to God, I would say, amen. The church is good at meetings, though, aren't we? We know how to meet. We don't know how to pray, but we know how to meet. Meetings for this, meetings for that. God says, I hate them. God says, you've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. I appreciate the way God starts off kind of soft, tender. When you put on your next prayer performance, (laughs) God's getting a little sarcastic here. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking. Are y'all with me in the scripture there? When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be Looking the other way. Wow. Wow. I could have named this sermon series, God Don't Play. That's why he quit school. They had recess and he don't play. Some of y'all get that later. Um, No matter how long, oh wow, or how loud or how often you pray, God says what? I will not be listening. And do you know why, God says? Because you've been tearing people to pieces. 
and your hands are bloody. Man, if you hadn't been tore up by a church, you, you just hadn't even really ever been tore up in your life. I mean, we know how to tear people in pieces in church, don't we? It's hard to say amen to, but how many of you know it's true? Look what God says. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. And this is that famous scripture in the King James where it says, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet. Y'all know that? Y'all know that verse in the King James? Here's how it is in the, in the message. Come, sit down, let's argue this out, God says. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're red like crimson, they'll be white like wool. If you'll willingly obey, you'll feast like kings. Wow. So let's go over here to the book of Amos. And Israel here, boy, if, if this is America right here. Israel is rich and prosperous. And as a result, they're prideful. They're, can I just say that again so I get in? They're rich and prosperous. And as a result of being rich and prosperous, nothing wrong with being rich and prosperous. God doesn't have a war out against the rich. But God says it is difficult for rich people to make it to heaven because rich, when you connect that with a human depraved spirit, you get a big problem bigger than being rich, and that is the problem of pride. Amen, amen? One of the greatest blessings to a church is a humble person God has blessed financially. Israel is rich and prosperous, and as a result, they are prideful. And resisting the will of God, they are rebellious and sinful, the Bible says. The prophet Amos, he was a herdsman of Tekoa, so he had no special credentials. He didn't have an ordination plaque hanging on the wall or a graduated from this seminary. He was just a herdsman from Tekoa, not Georgia. Pastor Andy was getting excited there because that's where he's from. Was sent by God. This prophet Amos was sent by God. Listen to this. This is why God sends us prophets to expose, denounce, and denounce the apostasy and hypocrisy of Israel. And um, I didn't write down the verses here, but I just want to pull this excerpt out of what God said to Amos, said to Israel through Amos. He said, I hate, I despise your feast days. Listen, listen to the way the message puts this. And we're talking about they were worshiping. Listen, listen to me now. They were sinning and they were going on sinning and they were not walking into intimacy with God. They were living their own lives the way they wanted to, but they still had their feast. They still had their worship times. Does that remind you of anything in our day? God says, I hate when you have your feast days. I'll not smell. I won't sniff in your solemn assemblies. And what he's talking about there is when the smells of the incense rises. That was part of their worship, the lighting of incense. And, and it would go up. God says, I won't, I won't inhale it. I won't smell it. Look what, he, look what God says. Though you offer me burnt offerings. And of course, before Jesus died on the cross, this is how sin was dealt with by offering these animals. He says, though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I won't accept them, God says. 
neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take away from me the, listen listen to this sentence. Take away from me the noise of your songs. God said, you know what God's saying right there? He's saying, if you're not going to live it, don't sing it. If you're not going to walk it out Monday through Saturday, don't walk in the church on Sunday morning and raise your hands and sing like you're living it. Now, it isn't in this Bible, but if I wrote a Bible right there, I'd put, booyah. Now look, I'm not being judgmental here today. I've sent worship up to God that God went, I'm not going to hear that. Do you get some stuff straight in your life, boy? So I'm not standing up here pointing a finger at anybody. I've been right there. I've sent worship up to God, but I had unrepented sin in my life, and I knew it was there, and I wouldn't deal with it because I was prideful. And when you try to send up worship to God, and you got stuff like that in your life, God will push it right back down and go, when you deal with that stuff in your life, I will smell your worship. I will inhale your worship, but I'm not going to inhale it until you deal with that. Are you all with me out there? How many of you think we need some preaching like this today? God says, I won't accept it. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not hear the melody of your instruments. You know what God's saying right there to the modern church? I don't care how good your band is. I don't care how good your pianist is. I don't care how good your organist is. I don't care how good your musicians are. I don't care what school they graduated from. I won't hear it. Let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. God's talking about cleaning, cleaning house. And when God wants to clean house, the best place to start is in the church house. The very feast which God himself had given them explicit directions to observe became, because of their hypocrisy and double dealing, those very feasts that God had told them to do became disgusting to him. Let's go from Amos to that famous Italian writer in the Bible, Malachi. The young laugh or not laugh, the jokes ain't going to get no better than that right there. That's good as it's going to get. Malachi, the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, so go to Matthew and hang a left. Now let's set this up because although the Jews had been allowed to return from exile and rebuild the temple, they were still depressed and discouraged. Basically, they were depressed and discouraged because God didn't bless them more and faster. Oh, Lord. Is that our day? Do we live in that day? God, I'll love you when you bless me more and faster. Not getting what they wanted from God, when they wanted it from God, these restored Jews became, began to lose hope. Don't you love when people who are so blessed um, just whine and complain? And you look at their life and go, really, you're whining and complaining? That's what God's doing right here. He's blessing them and blessing them, and they just don't, I'm just, I don't have any hope. So their worship degenerated into a listless perpetuation of forms, mere forms of worship. And they no longer took the law or God's promises seriously. So let's read. You got it in your notes there in front of you. Let's read what God has to say to these people. 
Malachi chapter 1, verse 7, God says, When you say the altar of God is not important anymore, when you say worship of God is no longer a priority, God says that's defiling. When you offer worthless animals for sacrifices in worship, animals that you're trying to get rid of, you bring to me your blind animals, your sick and crippled animals, isn't that defiling, God says? What is God talking about here? He's talking about worship. God says, uh, hey, why don't you try a trick like that with your banker or your senator? How far do you think it will get you? God of the angel armies asks you. Verse 9, get on your knees and pray that I will be gracious to you. You priests have gotten everybody in trouble. So now he speaks to the spiritual leaders. With this kind of conduct, do you think I'm going to pay attention to you? God of the angel armies asks you. Why doesn't one of you just shut the temple doors and lock them? Wow. Oh, my goodness. I wonder, and, and I'm not wondering for anybody else. I'm wondering for me right here at the bridge. I don't have any business judging anybody else because I don't really know what goes on at other churches. I know what goes on at this church, so I don't have any right judging other churches. But I wonder if God's ever looked at the bridge and gone, why don't somebody just lock the doors? Why don't you people, until you get it right and get ready, to, ready and willing to worship me the way you're supposed to, why don't you just lock the doors? Isn't that powerful? Isn't that convicting? That's a strong word from God right there. That's verse 10. He said, then if you lock the doors, none of you can get in and play at religion with this silly, empty-headed worship. Then God says, I'm not pleased. Now, if I was writing right here in the Bible, I would have put, really? I kind of picked up on that. The God of the angel armies is not pleased, and I don't want any more of this so-called worship. I am honored all over the world, and there are people who know how to worship me all over the world who honor me by bringing their best to me. They're saying it everywhere. God is greater, this God of the angel armies. But then in verse 12, he says, all except you. Instead of honoring me, you profane me. You profane me when you say worship is not important. And what we bring to worship is not important, of no account. And when you say about worship, I'm bored. And this doesn't do anything for me. You act so superior, sticking your noses in the air. Act superior to me, God of the angel armies. And when you do offer something to me, it's a hand-me-down or it's broken or useless. Now look what God asks right here. God says, do you think I'm going to accept that? And then he reminds us who's talking here. He says, God is speaking to you right here. Look at verse 14. A curse on the person who makes a big show of doing something great for me, an expensive sacrifice, say, and then at the last minute puts that awesome sacrifice aside and brings me something puny and worthless. He's talking about worship here. He says, I'm a great king, God of the angel armies, honored far and wide, and I'll not, what does he say? Come on, I'll what? 
the Old Testament references that I've just read to you reinforce the principle that God wants for us. And that is to worship Him from the heart. To worship Him from deep within. To worship Him with genuine intensity and passion. This is the kind of worship that came from the heart of Mary to her God. Here's what I'm saying to you. All known sin, all known sin in your life has to be judged and confessed in order for your worship to be acceptable to God. Did you hear me? The focus of true worship is on the Lord. It's not on you. How long has it been since you were, as C.S. Lewis put it, surprised by the joy just bursting out from inside you? How long has it been since you as a Christian have just been so overjoyed that you couldn't contain it? That's the stuff that rises up in response to great spiritual reality when you understand who God is, when you're maintaining your relationship with Him. That's the worship that honors God. It is an internal worship and it is an intense worship. And this is the way God wants Christ followers to respond to Him during the Christmas season and every other day of your life. God, don't play. Now, God is merciful, and God is kind, and God is forgiving, and God is loving. But I'm telling you, God is not going to look at your second best and go, that's good enough. I may do that. Churches may do that. But God says, no. You deal with that sin in your life. You deal with that unforgiveness in your life. You deal with that lying tongue. You deal with that gossiping tongue. You deal with those things in your life and you get yourself straight and you come to me and worship and God says, if I can use this language, I will smell, I will sniff, I will receive the worship that you send up to me. So it's time at Christmas to do an evaluation the Bible says when it talks about communion and we're about to take communion, it says we are, let a man what? Let a man examine himself. So that's what I'm calling on you to do today. You may never come back to church here again, but I hope wherever you end up in church that you will examine yourself this day and say, where am I with God? And is God receiving my song and is God receiving my worship? And is God receiving my service? God has requirements about that. He wants you to love him as Mary did. Worship him the way Mary did.